0: Welcome to The Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of The Readerly Report. Gail and I are back from our Midsummer hiatus, and very excited to talk to you about the books that we're looking forward to reading um, <clears throat> that are going to be coming out at fall. In fact, we're going to get right to it. We're going to tell you a couple of things that we have been reading so far, and then take a look at all of the books, or actually not all of the books because we're going to keep our list pretty tight and just talk about five or six books that we're most looking forward to. I guess that are coming up in the fall and. Then next episode, we will catch you up on how the rest of our summer went. But we're just really excited to talk about the fall books. So Gail, why don't you take it away and let us know what you're reading now? Sure. Yeah. So good to be back and chatting about
1: books. Right now, I don't know why it's taking me forever to get through this book because I'm enjoying it, but it's just, for some reason, it's taking me a long time. It's called Who We Are Now by Lauren Chamberlain who's a new to me author, this is one of those four friends from college following them in the years post-college. So it's four, two women and two men who went to Northwestern together, then they moved to New York and they kind of, you know, deal with the things that 20-somethings deal with, like career, success up and down, you know, alcohol, just like the whole thing, relationships, ill parents, everything. And it just, you know, each chapter kind of focuses on a different character, but they're always, the other three are always somewhere in the orbit. So this type of book is catnip to me. I like it. I don't, I, I again, I don't know anything about this author. It's Lauren Chamberlain, spelled with a U, I mean a Y, L-A-U-R-Y-N. And I don't know. I'm enjoying it. I don't know why it's taking me forever to get through. It's it nothing to do with the book. I think it's just my attention span. So. That's what I'm reading. And then on audio, I'm listening to a memoir called End Credits by Patty Lynn. Patty Lynn is a, a woman who was a, sc- a screenwriter for television shows. And it's just all about her career working in Hollywood on various TV shows that you've heard of before. She spent some time on Friends, she spent time on Freaks and Geeks, and it's about her career. So I'm going to wait till I finish it and then I'll give a full report of it because I don't want to judge it before it's done. So I'm maybe about two thirds of the way through that book.
0: Interesting. I started listening to that too. Oh, that's
1: funny. Are you going to keep listening to it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So it reminded me of, I, and I cannot think right now of the name of this book, this novel that I had read last year about a woman, a young Asian woman who had gone to Columbia and got involved in the film business and it was kind of like a me too story. So mm. when we discuss the book, I'll have remembered what that title is. And so, yeah, we can okay. chat about it.
1: Yeah. I am I have some thoughts. So I'm excited to talk about that with you. I had
0: no idea you're reading it. You know what else I'm listening to? What? Vladimir.
1: <laughs> <gasps> Ooh. Maybe we could do a dual episode book club on end
0: credits and Vladimir. Yeah. That would be kind of an interesting mix up too. I don't know what I was expecting from Vlad- Vladimir, but oh my, I'm really liking it though so far. Who narrates that?
1: Let me see. I'm just curious. I did that one in print, so I didn't.
0: Rebecca Lohman. Oh, I know who she is. Okay. That sounds like a good fit. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's one of those that I have been like, oh my gosh, just trying to get a little bit more time to listen to it. Hmm. It's just been so good. Okay, am um, reading
1: <laughs> okay, so is that both? is that the your your two books right now?
0: yes what else what else uh. do you have though? Did you have something else that you were reading or is it- no, just those two. Okay Just those two right now. All right, so then let's just get into it as per usual, Gail and I we have six books apiece. We have not cross-referenced our list, so who knows if we will have some of the same books in common? I kind of doubt it. My my list is pretty specific that I'd be surprised if we had any overlap this time, but who knows. So, why don't you take it away and start it off like what what are you looking forward to? And do you have any thoughts about this this fall's crop of books?
1: To prepare for this episode, I looked at like maybe six different lists from a, a variety of sources, so like Kirkus, Goodreads, Lit Hub, The Millions, The New York Times. So, you know, I kind of got a, a wide cross-section. The same books kept popping up over and over, which is not unusual. It seemed to me to be a rather serious and literary group this time. I and mean, maybe that's the sources that I looked at. But I found lots and lots of, you know, literary fiction, not that much light stuff. And lots of, like, just kind of either dystopian or cli-fi. It's a, the kind of dark, like, gloomy views of the world, which, I mean... <laughs> Given the state of the world is probably not that unusual or surprising, but I don't know. That was it, I actually had a harder time than usual kind of finding ones that I would just kind of naturally gravitate towards if I saw them on the shelf.
0: Interesting. How about, how about you? I agree that things are very literary. I kind of was excited, though, about this list. I think this is the first time in a while that I have had so many books that, that I'm interested in reading. I think you did have to go far and wide to find some different books. Like I did see that there was like a retelling of Bluebeard that's out, which is also kind of dark. You know, there were like some kind of feminist retellings out there. I think there'll be a lot of interesting things to talk about this fall. I mean, we, we're limiting this to six, so this is going to be a very thin slice, but I did find some things that were kind of interesting and wetting my appetite more so than I've had in other years. I also noticed that there are quite a few books now that are beginning to take on the experience of COVID. hmm yeah. I just read uh, Tom Lake. We can talk about that next week, but that was a COVID book too. That's mm-hmm. the new Ann Patchett. Yeah, I wanna read that. It looks good. Yeah. Can you just tell me if it's good or not? I
1: <laughs> I liked it. I didn't love it. It was okay. definitely not my favorite Ann Patchett. I found it to be a little slow. It picked up a bit at the end. But I know a lot of people have just adored it. So I Mm -hmm. I don't know. I find with Anne Patchett, there's always a wide variety. And some people will be like, oh, Belcanto is my favorite, but I hated, you know, Commonwealth. And then someone will say, well, I hated (laughs) Belcanto and loved Commonwealth. So like, it it just seems like people respond to different things in her books. And a lot of people have loved this one. I just, I, I found it a little slow. I did do it on audio with Meryl Streep, which is worth it. She's great.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, unsurprisingly, she does a great job.
0: (laughs) All right. So what is your first book that you were able to select out of this cocktail of kind of like dark and literary? (laughs) Dark and literary stuff.
1: All right. So I'm going to try to go roughly chronologically by publication date. So this first one is already out. It came out on September 5th. It's called Coleman Hill by Kim Coleman Foote. And this is a book about Two families who um, moved from the South to New Jersey in the Great Migration, so in like 1916. So they flee racism in the post Civil War South and move to New Jersey and in the hope of a better life and find that being in the North has its own challenges and that over the next 70 years, you know, they're going to be, particularly the women involved. Are going to go through a lot of challenges as well. So, it you know, multi generational. It's told through the perspectives of nine different family members. So, I love you know that kind of telling, and just about the the generations and the kind of themes that go from generation to generation. This is called a biomythography, which means that the story comes from the author's own family. So, even if it's not like an actual memoir or biography it's rooted in truth from her own history so that is coleman hill by kim coleman foot
0: okay that sounds great i was going to ask you whether that was some kind of um, memoir or if it was fiction or
1: yeah so i think it's kind of both
0: interesting (laughs) what's your first book Okay, so my first book is The Dance of the Dolls by Lauren Ash. And it is about two twin sisters, identical twin sisters who are ballet dancers who are taking part in this ballet called Capelia, which I think has very dark themes. The sisters are really different. I think there's one of them who kind of like is very focused and she wants to be the perfect ballerina. And then there is the other sister who is just more independent and more rebellious. And they're both involved. Well, one sister is involved with someone who like is in the ballet world. And one has this kind of, I'm not going to call him stalker because I don't know. I haven't read the book yet, but this one sister has this guy who's always kind of just watching her. And, you know, as they work on this ballet, which is, Kind of sinister in nature, it starts to affect the production. And, you know, each of the young men who are interested in the sisters seem like they suffer a little bit of a break with reality, and each one is grappling with their own dark fantasies. So it's difficult to tell which way this is going to go, but I don't know. I'm on a belly kick lately. I read a memoir, or I'm still in the process of reading this memoir because I've read it very slowly, but it has nothing to do with that itself because it's really good. It's about this young woman who takes a look at, you know, how harsh ballet can be and just like the life that she could have led and how her life was different just because she wasn't able to continue with it. You know, like with ballet, for the most part, you have to look a certain way and have a certain form in order to really advance and to be able to do the moves. So she looks at how that shaped her life as a young, you know, dancer, just kind of like growing up, how it per- shaped her perspective as a woman, how it shaped her relationships. So yeah, so that got me just like really interested in going down the rabbit hole of that. So this looked really good. It's a psychological thriller. It's also out September 5th.
1: You know, I gave my mom a book about ballet which I think she returned to me. So I have it somewhere and I I don't have the title in front of me and I'll look it up for you, but it was about how ballet has sort of not evolved and how it is so unhealthy for the dancers, like physically, mentally and how it's really time for the, for just the art form to kind of soften a little bit and not be so rigid. In how it, you know, yeah. It's
0: expression. Well, yeah, it, I mean, its purpose is basically to erase you yes, and to impose like this form or technique. And, you know, it just talks about how you're doing things to your body that are not even supposed to be possible. <laughs> right. And you're supposed to exactly, er- erase is a great word. You're supposed to
1: look exactly like everyone else. You know, you're, you're supposed to blend in and have this, this sort of faceless, you know, perfect form. You're supposed to conform to this ideal. And, uh, you know, my girls danced for many years and, you know, I'm so glad they got out when they did. Like, well, I think one was in seventh grade and one was in eighth grade. And I'm just like, this is, there's nothing healthy that comes from this. (laughs) Did you notice that at the time or is this like more hindsight? I mean, they were pretty young and, you know, they weren't I mean, they certainly were like of an age where they were certainly old enough to start like looking at bodies and saying like, oh, I look fat and, you know, and also just saying, oh, I'm not good enough or my body won't do, you know, my leg won't stretch the way that hers does. Like there's definitely a lot of comparison and competition. It's very individualistic. It's not a team sport in any sense of the word. Like it's, you know, it's, it's all about being better than everybody else. And I mean, they, they certainly got out long before I think either one of them sort of headed down the road of like any sort of super destructive stuff, but like, yeah, I could see it. And, you know, they,
0: it,
1: it, like when it stopped being fun, thankfully they just were like, I'm done. And I just wanted them to do team sports, like do things where you're like part of a group and you're happy for each other. And you're searching for the common, a common goal is instead of, oh, I got a bigger part than she did.
0: And the thing about, too, ballet is that a lot of it is out of your control, how your body is going to develop. Right. And, you know, are you the aesthetic that they're looking for? Can you fit into this? The the memoir that I read was called Don't Think, Dear, on Loving and Leaving Ballet by Alice Robb.
1: I've read a bunch of ballet books. I'll have to go through and get the names of all of them because there have been
0: it's absolutely a, fascinating. a
1: lot. Yeah, it is fascinating. And I'll have to find you the name of this book that that I got. Oh, I think Oh, this maybe this is what it was. It's called Turning Point, How a New Generation of Dancers is Saving Ballet from Itself. It's by an author named Chloe Angyal, A-N-G-Y-A-L. And I'm trying to think if that that may be the book that that I lent to my mom. It's about, you know, power and balance of an art form performed mostly by women, but dominated by men, impossible standards of beauty and thinness, racism that keeps people of color out of ballet. I mean, if you read any of Misty Copeland's memoirs or, you know, any of the books that she's written, there's, she addresses that a lot. But yeah, I think it was turning point. And it's point with an E at the end because it's obviously a play on being on, on point.
0: I just added that to my list.
1: Oh, good. Okay. okay. All right. Well, I'll do my next one. Okay. So my next book is Evil Eye by Etoff Room. I actually have this one already. This I got it from, I think it was last month, my book of the month pick, but I haven't read it yet. This also came out on September 5th. So Etoff Room is the author of A Woman is No Man, which I think you and I both read. We did. Possibly even did a book club on it. I don't remember. Yes, we
0: did.
1: So she writes a lot about kind of being a a woman with a, she's a Palestinian background and she writes about being kind of Palestinian American living in the U S but having roots in a very different type of culture. So this is about a woman who I think lives in Brooklyn or she lives in New York. She grew up in Brooklyn and she's become a teacher and she sort of has broken out of the kind of constraints of a Palestinian upbringing. But then she gets in a fight with someone at work. I mean, she may not be a teacher. I'm not sure what she does. But she's you a know, professional woman and has a workplace and gets in a fight with someone at work who's racist. And so it kind of unearths a whole bunch of thoughts. Her mother says to her that, there's a family curse. And that's why, you know, she had this altercation and it's why her life has taken this difficult turn. And so what she does is kind of look back on her strict upbringing in Brooklyn and trying to feel like figure out why she feels unfulfilled, even though she has achieved a a level of freedom and independence that her mother never could have. So it is a mother daughter book that talks about, you know, intergenerational trauma, but set in the context of this kind of immigrant, like modernization story. So a woman as no man was also set in Brooklyn, I believe. And it was about a mother with four daughters and it was all about kind of repression of women and traditional like Palestinian relationships and then how things changed for the next generation. So this was kind of an easy pick for me. (laughs) so it's called evil eye and it's by a tough room r-u-m came out on september
0: 5th this is where we get ourselves into trouble because so much stuff comes out at the same time and it's kind of impossible to keep up with it all right so my next book is bright young women by jessica Knoll. and she wrote the luckiest girl alive which was adapted into a movie for Netflix. It was kind of like about this, this woman who's on the brink of getting married and she has to go back and kind of like face some things, awful things that happened to her in high school. One of which I don't know if this is a spoiler. I'll leave it, but she has had some very bad stuff happen in high school. And as it turns out, the author had like a similar traumatic event. It happened in high school. There were a couple of things going on. So a lot of it was about not only facing these things and seeing if she's on the right path to what she wants because of what's happened to her. It's like forced her into these habits and these ways of being that are just, you know, very goal oriented in order to just kind of overcome her past. So she is now written a book that is about these two survivors. Like one is, a woman who has survived an attack by a serial killer in her dorm or not her dorm, her sorority house. And another woman across the country who thinks that she has had a friend who's gone missing who might be the victim of this same killer. And kind of they team up to get more answers and to get justice. So it's loosely based on Ted, it's like based on Ted Bundy. It's said that she does not mention his name in the book, like this is just more about the women and their stories and what they went through and how they overcame. And she took the title from something that one of the the sentencing judge said in court to Ted Bundy. He makes this comment that Ted Bundy was a bright young man (laughs) whose future has been, you know, like derailed by the acts that he's chosen, so. You know, she was just kind of like infuriated by the fact that this, like, average looking, probably average intelligent, averagely intelligent guy is, you know, that the judge would find, I guess, camaraderie or just even make a comment like that about his future. When I think Ted Bundy killed like 36 women, something like that. Even if he had only killed one. But so, very interesting to read interested to read that. It's out September 19th.
1: Hmm. That sounds dark. (laughs) Just a little. Okay. So my next book is called wellness by Nathan Hill. I did not read his book, the next, which did you read that one? No. Wasn't it a tome? Wasn't it like really big? Yeah, it was really big. I wonder how big this one is. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay, probably I'm not going to read this. It's 624 pages. I didn't know that. But this one, I just, the premise of it appealed appeals to me more than I think the one for the Knicks did. Because I remember I had the Knicks. I think you and I both picked it up at BEA one year and it just sat on my shelf forever. I don't even know if it's still
0: here or not. Yeah, the Knicks was 640 pages. So I guess yeah. he's keeping it tight these days.
1: Yeah, <laughs> lots of editing. <laughs> This one, though, the premise sounds more interesting to me. So this is about a couple. They meet as college students, Jack and Elizabeth. They get married and have kids. So now it's 20 years later once they've gotten out of college. And now they're dealing with, you know, all of the kind of challenges of parenting and the kind of ridiculous things that parents encounter, like Facebook wars and support groups and things like that. And so... It's kind of about like how the two of them have changed over the period since the period when they met and how they can kind of like figure out how to sort of stay connected to each other as they deal with, you know, processes of life. So they have to kind of confront unfulfilled career ambitions and childhood memories and their own you know, their own families as they're building their one together and just try to stay connected. So it seems like it's just sort of a modern marriage story, which somebody on Amazon calls it hilarious and moving. So I, you know, I could maybe see picking it up. I did not realize it was this long. I kind of hope maybe you've it down, <laughs> but I don't know. I would think about it. I, I would want to see what the reviews are like first before I invested that time in it. But, you know, if, if it's really good, then 624 pages could go by kind of quickly. So I, I just like the premise of this one and it comes out on September 19th, which is going to be this week.
0: Do you think before you started blogging, podcasting, all of that, were you daunted by books? Did you care how long they were? Yeah. I've never been a big fan of like picking up enormous long books. books. Okay. I don't know. Like
1: they kind of feel like, uh, like, if you don't like it, then it's just because you know me, I'm not a big DNFer, So right. it's right. an investment. And so I, you know, I, but on the other hand, like, if a book is amazing, like, who cares how long it is?
0: Well, yeah, you don't want it to end.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do certainly now always have an eye on my, like, you know, how far behind am I on my reading goal, which I'm <laughs> still like a good six books behind. So picking up a 624 page book is like two books. Right. So you know that's always in the back of my mind. I know that's kind of petty, but it's it's honest. <laughs>
0: it is what it is.
1: <laughs> it is what it is. How about you? Do you are you do you shy away from big books?
0: I think so now, but I think I've read so many books now where they just—I mean, even a three hundred-page or three hundred and fifty-page book, a lot of times seems like okay, we can be wrapping this up right now. <laughs> so I right. just think it has to be like an exceptional book and you know there are some books where you just want to be in that world and you're okay i think the woman who writes the outlander book seems to do a good job of that for her fans that you know they continuously read 800 page books about jamie fraser in scotland but you know i think once you find it you can do that but i'm less likely you know it has to, it has to sound like just so good
1: yeah. And I mean, I'm reading like a 300 page book now and it's taking me two weeks and it's not <laughs> a heavy book. So like it's, it. it there's not necessarily a correlation bef- between how long it takes me to read a book and how long the book is. Right. I've, re- I've read one book this summer that was like 200 pages and it just, I, it just was like slow going. So right. yeah, but I guess my knee jerk reaction is like, oh, that's too long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next up, I want to read A Man of Two Faces. By Viet Khan Nguyen. And he wrote The Sympathizer, which I really liked. It's one of those books that I feel like I could read again just because I just got the surface of what he was trying to accomplish, and I really appreciated the book. But I definitely do feel like I would pick up on more if I read it again. It was kind of like this spy who is playing both sides during the Vietnam War. So this is his memoir about coming to the United States as a refugee, being separated from his parents. I think they're reunited at one point. And he just talks about like kind of the United States is seen as this beacon for immigrants and, you know, people are welcome and you're going to have this golden life. But he talks about the violence just behind that, you know, the way he's ripped away from his family, some of the, I guess, identity pressure that he felt, especially when Movies about the Vietnam War were coming out. I think he mentions Apocalypse Now as something that really kind of shifted how he thought about himself, you know, because on the one hand, he's an American. On the other hand, he's got all of these depictions that are against who he is as a person. So it's just, you know, it's a memoir of his life. It sounds like it's fascinating. At one point, he is reunited with his parents and it seems like they're running a grocery store and they're shot. He finds out he has an adopted sister back in Vietnam and he goes back to talk to her, you know, kind of like finds out what exactly his parents left behind, like how big the sacrifices that that they've made. And he's worried about their comfort and like how he's going to provide for them or how comfortable they'll be in their old age as they start to kind of like, I guess, grapple with the trauma of their life. So he, I don't know, he, he, the sympathizer was fascinating. Like I said, want to get back to that. He's written another book or two, I think that I would like to keep up with, but so, so interested to read this. So it's a man of two faces, a memoir, a history, a memorial, and it is out. What did I say October, no, September 19th.
1: Okay. So my next book is the museum of failures by 3T Umergarh. I know it's an author that you have read before too. Mm -hmm. I didn't read her most recent book called honor, but I I read that one. Okay. So you read that one. I I have read other ones by her. And this book is about a man who has moved from India to the U S and has not, he's kind of estranged from his mother. And years later, he returns back to India to adopt a baby and see her again before, you know, before it's too late and before she dies. And when he gets there, he realizes that she is much sort of more kind of ill and compromised than he realized and he feels guilty that he's you know, not come earlier, but then he's in her apartment and comes across an old photograph that surfaces some shocking family secrets. And that make him kind of reevaluate his his whole childhood. So I like her writing. I'm drawn to this one because it's an interesting mother, son, family secret novel. And I like her writing a lot. So this one was kind of a no-brainer for me to put on the list. And it is 368 pages, which is smaller than the Nathan Hill book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think most things on your list probably will be.
1: Yes. I think so too. Did you have this one on your list or was it circular? Did you give it the eye at some point?
0: No, you know what? I didn't even know she had a new book coming out. It's so interesting.
1: Oh. Just like depending on the list that you read.
0: <laughs> yeah. The
1: books that you're mentioning I, I didn't I, it didn't surface for me either. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah. I think that there is just a wealth of books out there this. Yeah. I was going to say this semester, this fall. <laughs> right. Okay. So next up on my list is a book I've mentioned before because I was really looking forward to it. And I was excited that this author had a book coming out. Her name is Ayana Mathis. She wrote The Twelve Tribes of Hattie. That book came out back in, I want to say 2011 or 2012. So she has taken a long time. That was her first book. I really liked it. So it's been 10, 11 years, and now she has this new multi-generational saga called the unsettled. And it's about a woman and her son who in 1985 move away from a small town in Alabama to, I think they both moved to Philadelphia where the woman is just trying to, she has, she's estranged from her mother. Like the relationship dynamic with her mother is part of the reason why she has left and she wants a better life for herself, wants a better life for her son. She wants to be a better mother to her son than she's experienced. And they are staying in a shelter when they first arrive in Philadelphia in 1985. So she is very motivated to get out because the shelter is not, a you know, it's just like not well kept, not a great place to be, not where she wants to raise her son. But she gets back involved with his charismatic father named Cass. And I think it kind of like, Sets her down a wrong path. Meanwhile, her mom is living in a small town. The small town in Alabama, I think, is called Bonard, and she is—it's like a black-owned town. Or she's the mayor of the town, so she is trying to hold together the roots and to keep, you know, to keep the town intact as it has been, and is running up against issues with that. But as things kind of in- intensify, Ava's young son. His name is Toussaint, is like feeling the pressure of, you know, things. He knows that things are not right with his mom, that this new relationship with his father is taking her down a dangerous path. And he wants nothing more than to escape and kind of go back to, you know, his life in Alabama. So multi-generational novel with quite a bit that's going to come to a head, you know, by an author that I really enjoyed their first book. So it's out September 26th. It's unsettled by Ayana Mathis.
1: I saw that on the list and thought you might be picking that one because I know you like her. Okay, my next one is nonfiction. It is called *The Loneliness Files: A Memoir and Essays* by Athena Dixon, and it is about the epidemic of loneliness that I think Ooh, is I getting a lot that. of attention. Yeah, it's particularly post-COVID. So it's a middle-aged woman who doesn't have children. She works from home forty hours a week. Lives far away from family and friends. And it's just all about how she copes with loneliness and how does she find connection in a world where, you know, people can be so isolated. A groundbreaking memoir and essays that brings us together in its piercing revelatory examination of how and why it is that we break apart. I've seen a lot of attention being paid to loneliness lately, and I just find it pretty interesting. So thought I would throw this one on the list as well. And that again is called The Loneliness Files by Athena Dixon.
0: Yeah, I do see it come up. I see it come up in different forms, whether it's just straight loneliness or whether it's, you know, placed in like finding friendships, being so hard as an adult. Mm-hmm.
1: I do think that the pandemic too, just like really accelerated it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's so much shifting that happened after after the pandemic. I know a number of my friends, you know, people who normally might've been here, a little bit more just accelerated their plans in terms of marriage and relocating to where they wanted to raise a family or just different things like that. And just talking to friends, you know, who are still here, just getting the the sense that there were some years lost where they would have been doing particular things, you know, like even Mm -hmm. friends who are younger feeling like they lost those last years of their (laughs) twenties. Right.
1: I mean, and certainly for kids, it really, caused lots of isolation during times where, you know, kids should be forming their most formative relationships and, you know, friendships, high school, whatever it is, like, you know, the pandemic just really transformed, I think some of those like kind of rites of passage.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that even with like um, toddlers, you know, like I've heard talk to friends or have had friends comment on people's children like, even as young as that, you would think that young, that there would be a a sense of flexibility that even, you know, like really young kids are, have been affected in their development and developing relationships and being able to interact with other children, I guess, like growing up in a bubble for, you know, where two to three years, you might have always just been around adults and just don't, you know, know how to deal. Right. So, so interesting. Well, I hope you read that one and, yes. <laughs> and report that report yeah, like to. to us on it. Next up on my list is Roman Stories by Jhumpa Lahiri. Mm. It is out October 10th. I love Jhumpa Lahiri. I really loved her last book, Whereabouts, which is kind of like these short vignettes about this, this middle-aged woman. <laughs> it's funny, we're talking about loneliness. I wouldn't say that she's lonely. She has a lover. They kind of meet in different places. You know, This is set in Rome. But this new book that she has is a book of short stories that she translated, like she wrote in English and translated into Italian herself. You know, she spent three years living in Italy, learning the language. And I think she has a book, one of the books that she wrote, I think it's called In Translation or Some Play on Words, where she talks about her experience of like learning English and I mean, learning Italian and and the experience with this. So she translated these stories that are based on like just Rome, and Roman life in the past and the present. You know, we I neither of us are big short story people, but this one was kind of calling to me, so I want to check it out. And she had help translating it; she didn't translate this one like completely on her own. But I'm just so fascinated by her process and the fact that she just writes such compelling and intricate novels about everyday people, you know, and their the experiences they go through with the namesake. The Lowland was also really good and Unaccustomed Earth. So she has a great body of work.
1: I have not read anything by her recently. I did read all of the older stuff. I read super kind of plot-driven family stories, Unaccustomed Earth, Lowland, was mm-hmm. that it? The Lowland. Yeah. When she started to drift towards Translation and kind of the more like the books that are kind of more like language driven as opposed to plot driven.
0: For some reason, I just haven't been as interested. I didn't so, find The Lowland to be very plot driven though. I thought it, I find her books to be so like people focused and character driven. That, that's I think that's what I meant. Character driven as opposed to
1: books that, well, like the one about the translation, I just, I don't know, for whatever reason I didn't, that didn't appeal to me. The whereabouts one, you've talked about that a bunch of times on the show. And I think I was worried it felt too like ephemeral, I don't know, too atmospheric and not enough character driven. Am I wrong about that?
0: No, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, there is an element of place and like, you know, like physically how she lives her life. But entwined in that is like this relationship, this difficult relationship that she has with her mother you know, this, the relationship that she has with her lover and whether she's going to continue the flirtation she has with people. There was enough there, like that you got a complete sense of her life and her evolution as a person.
1: Okay. Maybe I should give it a try. I actually loved her short stories. That that wasn't, is she, Wait, I'm just looking at my shelf. Sorry, if we're like rolling away. Interpreter of maladies. That was like, wasn't that her first book? The short stories that she wrote? I think so. I don't think I read interpretive Maladies. I think I read it for a, she might've won an award for that. And I think I might've read that for like a book club category. Like
0: you need to, w- yeah,
1: I needed an award winner, but I liked it. And I love the namesake and I love the other ones. So I, I'm going to try to revisit her because like you said, she's exquisite. Like mm-hmm. she's really an amazing writer. Okay. All right. You're putting her back on my list. <laughs> okay. My last book is an author that we've read and I think I'm a completist, it's Jean Kwok and her latest book is called The Leftover Woman. And once again, it is the theme of immigration, kind of desperate immigration from China to New York City. It's about a woman named Jasmine Yang who comes to New York without family or money, fleeing a controlling husband and she's searching for a daughter who was taken from her at birth because of the one-child policy in China. But her husband is, is... tailing her. So she's trying, desperately trying to find her daughter. And then meanwhile, there's a parallel story, which I'm going to guess I can tell how these two are connected, but it's about a woman in New York who has adopted a Chinese daughter. So I'm assuming that the daughter that she has adopted is the daughter that the other character is looking for, but I'm not sure. And so you've got these two women kind of both going through difficult times who then are on a quote-unquote shocking collision course. So this book is twisting and suspenseful and surprisingly poignant, according to Goodreads, and a profound exploration of identity and belonging. So I love Jean Kwok. Her last book, which had a thriller element to it, was probably my least favorite of her three. I like her ones that delve really deeply into this immigrant experience. The last book was about a woman who was searching for her lost sister, searching for Sylvie Lee. And it took place in mostly in the Netherlands, which is where Jean Kwok lives. So I'm excited about this one because it's kind of getting back to her roots as a writer, or at least the ones that, you know, the books I've read before. And I like the idea of the kind of the suspense element as well. So that is The Leftover Woman by Jean Kwok and it comes out on October 10th. And that's my last book.
0: Okay. Good job. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So my last book is Let Us Descend by Jasmine Ward. And she is a novelist that I I haven't read a lot of her books, but the one book that I did read, I really loved and just thought that she did such a masterful job with it. That even though that this is a topic that I normally would shy away from, I just felt like I want to see what she will do with it. So her novel is a reimagining set in American slavery. It's about this young woman named Annis who is sold by the like her enslaver is her father and she is on a journey. I think she starts off in the Carolinas and she's going to be going down somewhere in in New Orleans. And so it's about her experience as she makes this journey after she's been sold and, you know, she, in order to just get through this hellish kind of, you know, journey, she turns inward and she, I guess, ruminates on the stories that she has of her mother. And she thinks about the stories that she's been told about her grandmother, who was this great warrior and, this is, I guess, kind of like what gives her sustenance as she makes this journey. Like I said, this is not something I would be, that really is something I would normally want to read, but, but just because Jasmine Ward did such an incredible job with seeing Unburied Sing, she's just like one of these authors that I'm instantly curious about whatever it is that she has to say or whatever it is that she wants to put out. I've seen this book everywhere. So it's getting, getting a lot of buzz. (laughs) Not surprising. Yeah. Not surprising at all. Sing
1: Unburied Sing was so good.
0: Yes. Yeah. Phenomenal. All right. So that's what we have for you. Um, Next week we are going to be taking a step back and telling you how our summers went. You know, Gail and I both set goals um, for reading and you know, I thought that I was going to use the summer to be able to catch up. And I guess you'll see how we are doing with that. And like, what are the standouts of the books that we read over the summer?
1: Yeah. All right. Until next week, then. Happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonilla.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.